0: This is episode 33 of The Urban Yogi, featuring Edward Dangerfield. I'm your host, Will Blunderfield. I'm a psych major, a kundalini yoga teacher, spin instructor, recording artist, and a mindfulness based stress reduction teacher in training. Join me in this free flowing conversation, exploring what it means to live with balance in the 21st century. Edward Dangerfield is trained in nervous system health, Chinese massage and pressure points, breath work, nerve flossing, Qigong, biofield energy healing, yoga, and meditation. He constantly studies modern approaches to anatomy, physiology, neuroscience, and developmental patterns. Edward uses these teachings and techniques to guide people on a journey within, to increase awareness and lung capacity, change the brain state, and the functioning of the nervous system and endocrine system. Nervous system regulation and intuitive trauma release help athletes increase lung capacity, response times, and performance. Post-concussion, PTSD, stress, and anxiety can all be treated effectively nervous system regulation provides people with the tools to find balance and peace within their body mind and spirit intuitive trauma release allows people to regulate trauma that is stored physically in the body subtle movement voice and touch guide people on a journey within releasing trapped emotions and energy to find a deeper sense of inner peace i hope you enjoy my interview with mr edward dangerfield
1: How's your day going? It's going really good. Yeah, I'm just in a, nice. in, uh, a break in the clinic right now. A couple oh, sweet, hours man. This afternoon. Ah. Nice.
0: Nice. I'm just on break too. Yeah, I just taught a few fitness classes and then I'm going to be teaching tonight a Kundalini yoga class.
1: Awesome, brother. So yeah. good.
0: What are you doing in the clinic today?
1: Uh, this morning, I have had um, three different clients this morning. A variety nice. of, of fun things to do. So a combination of... Um, mostly breath work and then using breath work to release trauma. That's fantastic. Um, and then I've got the same, this afternoon I've got two more clients for um, one-on-ones. So each treatment's about an hour, and, and we're using um, quite a potent soundtrack of music, some evocative stuff, and uh, different beats and tempos to change uh, with the breathing pattern. Cool, man. Um, Hey, you easy. can't
0: move your uh, camera down a bit so we can see more of you
1: and less ceiling. I can sit up more. There you go.
0: <laughs> we want to see our sexy chest.
1: <laughs> there you go. Namaste. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's, uh, that's kind of my morning. And, um, nice. Yeah. Sweet, that's man. Standard-based What's standard-based. a typical day in the
0: life? Oh, it's funny. I can hear myself being reflected. You don't have earbuds, do you? Um, not here. No, no. no. Is mm-hmm. that better? That is better. Whatever you did, it's okay. better. Turned you down a bit. Okay, sweet. So what's a day in the life of Ed Dangerfield in terms totally, of your professional career?
1: Totally variable. Um, mm-hmm. Like, today's a pretty standard clinic day. Like, I usually work, um, start at nine. And, nice. Uh, like, m- my dream day is, like, just actually working from nine until two, which is cool. quarterly Back to back that's fantastic. And then taking the afternoon off uh, doing my own practices and self-care and spending time with my wife so that's amazing. That's, and your
0: wife is about to have a
1: baby eh Yeah dude, it's crazy we're, uh, we're I guess about two and a half weeks out right now.
0: Holy moly
1: two two and that's a half ex- weeks and that's been amazing to witness that um, that transformation in her and mm. yeah like just I'm so blown away by the human body always Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. in treatment in a yoga class but like pregnancy is just taking it to the whole next new level of witnessing that creation in that way yeah seeing that child grow inside her yeah it's been been so wild that's so cool can i ask how old you are i'm 37
0: oh wow cool i just was wondering i was like and you said you have you got a brother how old's your brother
1: brother's 39 he's two years older than that
0: okay cool and is it just the two of you or are there other siblings
1: yeah just the two of us
0: oh nice yeah and you so tell me tell me a bit about your background you grew up in the UK
1: yeah the abridged the abridged version of me um yeah I grew up in the UK and then uh when I was uh 18 I went to study um economics at university and I studied for four years Cool. And then at that point, I was headed towards a career in, in finance or banking, something mm-hmm. really, really dull and dry. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, what was
0: your degree in again?
1: In economics.
0: Economics. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. And so <laughs> then I was like, okay, like I need to do something else, and I decided to um, to take a year out and to go travel. Nice. And the the law in the law in the UK at the time. Mm-hmm was that um we could get a one year work permit for Canada cool, and so uh, yeah I jumped on the plane and, and uh, came to Canada and I arrived in Montreal and that's amazing. I was in Montreal for a summer, I had an amazing summer, I love that city so much yeah and then and then I moved to uh I moved to Whistler I came here for a season, oh. and I was like I was that English kid with uh, like really no idea about wilderness or mountains or snow, and turned mm-hmm. up. And it's kind of one of those ones where, you know, like, oh, yeah, I came here and fell in love with the lifestyle and nature and the culture and the openness and the acceptance. And everyone mm-hmm. was just kind of a rebel. Everyone's quit life and moved here to live in a ski town. And we make right. a lot of different choices to be here and to do that. And so mm-hmm. I fell into the restaurant industry and I'd ski in the day and work at night. Wow.
0: That sounds that like kind a, of a jam. freaking awesome jam. So it wasn't anymore. Yeah. Tell me about what happened.
1: Oh, we've got a freeze going on. Oh, freeze!
0: Freeze! Freeze! Am I frozen? You're frozen. There you go. I'm frozen. There we
1: go. Got to start dancing.
0: You've got to move. The... Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, so what happened? You? I heard um, a little birdie told me you were involved in an avalanche.
1: Yeah. So I think like that's probably the most pivotal, one of the most pivotal moments of my life. Um, mm. I had been, I opened my own restaurant here in Worcester um, in 2010. And uh, a friend of mine and I, we, we kind of, we just decided it was time to serve food um, and do what we love, but make a difference. And so this idea, of, uh, it became a passion project of ours to connect local farmers to people that were here um, on vacation and just to connect people to the sense of place. And Cool what I didn't really fully recognize is that that was the the beginning of really an awakening within myself of understanding how disconnected I was from being in relationship to the land. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was using food and then wine as a vehicle to um, educate myself and other people on how we are in relationship to everything. And Mm -hmm. I loved service. I loved giving people amazing experiences and, and holding space. And I was using the restaurant vehicle and industry to do that. Nice. And then I guess in uh, yeah, probably in about 2014, I had a realization that I, I didn't really want to be involved in the industry, um, mm-hmm. and the, just there was a high level of toxicity that was for me was servicing in terms of my lifestyle, late nights, lots of alcohol, and mm-hmm. a, a lack of balance in my life. So mm-hmm. I, I decided to address that, and I am um, I was making plans to leave the restaurant industry and leave the restaurant and to move and travel and retrain. And, and as I was making that decision and as I was going through the process of that, I was caught in an avalanche uh, five years ago now. Wow. Yeah, totally pivotal moment. Huge, huge traumatic experience. Were you just hiking and, with friends and then telling you? Yeah, I was, um, I've skied a lot. I've skied a lot inbounds, but I ski a lot out of bounds as well. So I skied behind the, the ski area boundary. And um, so I, I was behind Home. Oh, so wow. taking all the lifts up and then ski touring out behind the, the peak
0: by yourself or with friends or
1: I was with one friend and um, we were following, you know, all of the safety protocols and all of the really good habits that we had in place, but that uh, any, any, any sort of adventure into the back country carries with it risk. And mm-hmm. so, you know, whilst we were playing it reasonably safe, there were some elements that we had definitely overlooked. Um, mm. And, I would say like we did pretty much everything by the book, but it's still like there's always a margin for error. And so I was caught in a decent size slide. I went for a pretty I went for a pretty good spin. <laughs> wow. Um, and it
0: wasn't, wasn't your friend good. OK.
1: Yeah, he was fine. I mean, one of the protocols is we would ski something one at a time and you'd ski it and then you'd get out of the way of a slide. And then the next person would ski, and then they would get out of the way, and then the next person would ski. So you're kind of leapfrogging down terrain Mm -hmm. in such a way that you're always making sure that if something was triggered, it would go past you, and you'd be able to see the person. So my friend was standing sort of way over on a bluff, overlooking the pitch that I was skiing, and he was in a safe area. He was actually sort of off and to the side and up slightly, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and he watched the whole thing go on. Wow! And then he came down and made sure I was okay, but what that taught me was that we can be exposed to danger and we can have really big experiences and that will trigger an emotional response within our body. In my case, when we're talking about an avalanche, we're talking about a huge adrenal response Mm -hmm. and that creates a massive fight flight physical sensation within the body that creates adrenaline and makes me incredibly strong and powerful and able to fight through that experience.
0: Right.
1: Now the human body is designed in such a way and the mind And the brain interface is is such that if we go through the experience, we have an opportunity to fully complete it. And Mm -hmm. that shows up in breath pattern and in orientation and scanning. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of different technical cues that I've come to understand. But what happened was when I came out from that big experience, I was in the backcountry. I wasn't Mm -hmm. safe. And not only that, but I knew I just triggered a slide and that all of the terrain we were in was dangerous. So at that time, there was no option to then feel safe. What I had to do was get back inbounds Mm -hmm. and get safe. Mm -hmm. And so how that looked was um, I then had to collect all of my gear and find everything that I could to be able to hike out and then get back inbounds. And then when I got home, home is that opportunity to feel safe again. And I could have laid down and grounded and calmed and allowed my body to process out the rest of that adrenaline response. Mm -hmm. And then I would have been able to fully complete my trauma cycle. But I didn't do that. And instead, what happened was adrenaline started running in the background. So I always felt like I was still in an avalanche. And that leads to high levels of anxiety, which will, with time, lead to adrenal fatigue and eventually depression.
0: Depression, Mm -hmm.
1: So what I've come to understand is big physical responses that are cued by the nervous system into the endocrine system to create blood chemistry to respond to that physical response. If we fully complete the trauma cycle, we carry on with life and it doesn't affect us. And if we don't fully complete the trauma cycle, it's going to be devastating. And in my case, it was. Two weeks later, I recognized that I was in not such a great place. And I've done some really profound work with the Feldenkrais method and with mm. Irene Lion. And Irene's a really powerful nervous system healer. Um, what was the second modality? Um so Feldenkrais is, yes. is her. And then she's she's working with nervous system nervous system healing and somatic experiencing in the work of Peter Levine, who's a trauma specialist. Oh yes.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And um Healing Trauma, Aaron I think, le- is one of his books that I have. Yeah. Irene lived in Whistler for some time, and, and I've, I've worked with her um, quite extensively with, some, with, with, um, with, with various modalities of body work and, and presencing and, and general awareness-based practices for embodiment. Nice. And so I knew I was in a bit of a state, and I reached out to her knowing that she was qualified and qualifying in somatic experiencing and continuing her education and dialogue around trauma healing. Mm. and I went to see her in Vancouver, and um, we have a really good rapport, we have a great relationship, and uh, yeah, like I was, you know, I went to a wedding, you know, I'm like, her husband's a a beautiful man as well, and I'm, I'm like great, great friends with him, and so the two of them, they're an amazing couple, she holds an amazing space, really a safe container, and she's very, very knowledgeable and practiced, and so she used story to guide me back to that place and as I was telling my story there was an emotional response that started to surface in my body because I hadn't physically completed the cycle so it was mm-hmm. still running in the background and she could bring that up mm-hmm. and I ended up basically reliving that whole experience Just in her arms
2: I was on, ended or... up
1: on the floor I went through every movement pattern that I went through during the Avalon. wow like the exact same movement patterns. And as I was doing it, I was fully visualizing the, the, the scene. Wow. And I mean, at the end of it, I was titrating between, pendulating between knowing that I was in Vancouver in her office and fully having the same felt sense experience that I was in the mountains in an Avalon. Wow. And
0: Would it you was say a, That she created a safe container so that she could re experience, because it's not enough to just re experience trauma, but to, to be in a safe, compassionate container. To help heal? Is that sort of one of the keys?
1: Totally. Yeah. And so what was happening was that whole experience came up and surfaced. And then she just held the space and allowed me to be with it all. Now, one of the other keys that's really important is she's calm and regulated. Right. So I'm going through my mess (laughs) and she's not flinching. And that allows me to stay attuned to her. And she's just holding the space in the container as I go through my my stuff. And that's essential as well. And, and it's essential, part, yeah. yeah, yeah, and part of the reason Irene's such an amazing healer is because she can hold space and she, like, allows somebody to go through something without it breaking up things within her. How does she Probably. do that? She's clear. She's clear. She's, she's worked clear. through us.
0: Right. She's she's done. She's doing and has done the work herself, so that she's able to show up.
1: Totally. And that, that totally. attunement is essential because if someone's in a high tone in the nervous system. Mm-hmm. and we step into their container and their space, they're going to bring us up there. Right. And, and so having a recognition and understanding of our own tone and where we're at mm-hmm. and where we're teaching or holding space from is also essential. And that's uh... the quality that Irene and that level of awareness and education and practice that Irene has. So five years ago, that was a fundamental turning point because it made me realize the power of, of what she does. Mm-hmm. It also opened up the rabbit hole. Which is that realization, though, where I'm like, okay, so if I've got unprocessed emotion from an avalanche in me, what else is there? Mm -hmm. And then we start the journey, and that's Mm -hmm. five years ago. And I would say, you know, the next year and a half was what some would call dark night of the soul, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and that's that—that delving into Mm -hmm. the depths and delving into all of those shadow spaces and pieces of me that had never fully had a chance to be seen or heard or completed, be it from mm-hmm. childhood experiences or breakups or, you know, business deals gone sideways, whatever it might be. Anytime that I hadn't fully allowed that to get complete, it was stored it's within me. And your, that's the Every
0: time. every once in a while, there's a bit of a beep, a uh, buzzing thing that happens. I don't know what that is, but it's like, meh mm-hmm. happened about 10 seconds ago. I don't know if it's your cell phone. Just is there a in there maybe? There's like a duck in the room. <laughs> You're like saying something so deep, and it's like
2: meh, meh, meh. <laughs> <What was that? laughs>
0: so. Um, Edward works with ducks. It's it's called yeah. a PTSD duck healing. Just yeah, has a duck a duck in the room just for good for good
1: vibes, just to lighten things up a bit. Every so yeah. often it get a bit heavy, and we just Put need a goose time. in the corner. <laughs> yeah, I have a pair of mallets in here. Um, <laughs> there's the, I, I like to work with spirit animals. <laughs> it's, like, well.
0: it's like lighting incense and then like two mallard ducks just like walking around. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's
1: how you do that's... it. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> yeah, so that's so, the, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess that's the essence. That's the, that's the abridged version. I, I find myself, you know, a year and a half ago, probably very much like yourself Well, getting into the space of being like, okay, like what do I need to do for me? And as I continued to do that, it started to build a skill set where I was like, well, I know this helps me because I live it. And I'm sure it's going to help other people. And then there's that turning point of recognizing that my story has so much value if I choose to uh, convey the teachings that I've received from other people and convey them through my lens and also integrating all of the different learnings. So bringing in Mm -hmm. the work of Irene bringing in the work of Robin Clements and bringing in the work of my native teachers and and Qigong and Chinese massage and manipulation and bringing in the teachings of Kundalini and breath and yoga, Mm -hmm. integrating all of those and then living them fully and then teaching from that place.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's like um, one teacher uh, told me, teach what you need because then it's got more meaning and there's more passion when you're teaching it if you're just teaching what you need.
1: Totally, bro. And, and I think, yeah, teaching from that, that place of experience, you know, having mm-hmm. lived it and continuing to live it, um, mm-hmm. continuing to delve into those places of unprocessed emotion and, and find them and, and be with them fully so that they can complete. You got to feel it to heal it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> totally. Totally.
1: Um,
0: yeah. Tell me about um, the root chakra. What, What um, role does the root chakra play in, in, in healing and in balance?
1: Mm. It's um, my own personal experience was a total disconnection from being able to fully breathe down through into that space. Um, So clinically right in front of the tailbone, there's a small collection of cells called the coccygeal body Mm. and It's a body right now, and it may turn into being called a gland in the future. Um, Glands are are tested and recognized as changing blood chemistry. Mm -hmm. And um, I like to just honor the work of Bonnie Bainbridge-Cohen and Body Mind Centering. Um, She's an amazing lady who has tracked through her own body with her own senses and found various different places in her body that create different sensations when she brings her awareness into them. And through that, she's been able to map out various glands and bodies before Western science has fully recognized what they are or what they do. Cool. She has now said, this is existing. I can feel it. When I feel into it, this is what it does. And Western Mm. science has then gone and said, okay, well, let's examine that, found it, and then tested it and found that it does exactly that. So she's pioneered the discovery of various bodies, the thoraco-body right in under the ribs, kind of sits right here and and that changes the rhythm of our breathing which is one of the most important places to hold but in terms of coming back to the root chakra right in front of the the tailbone is the coccygeal body and it's described as creating a felt sense of being grounded
0: would that be between the
1: anus and the tailbone yeah it's kind of it's kind of behind like yeah yeah exactly yeah. Um, so there's that space there. And then there's also, you know, between the anus and the genitals is the perineum as well. Mm-hmm. And slightly up from that, we've got the pelvic floor. And when it comes to, like, m- really, I focused on breathing. And that's really my, my kind of jam is, is breathing, be it through movement or breath work, um, or just looking at a resting breath pattern. I like to diagnose people's breath patterns and show how that's changing their gland function. Hmm. What we consistently notice is that as a culture, we have an inability to breathe through down into our roots. And that sounds funny, I had a conversation with a Western doctor and they were like, so what do you mean like breathe into your stomach? Your lungs are up here. So we had to get into anatomy that whilst the lungs are up here, the diaphragm is just kind of right below the rib cage. Uh When that muscle moves, we can breathe down through the organ space. Hmm. Now, we have three diaphragms. We have the pelvic floor, the diaphragm of the ribs, and the diaphragm in the throat. Hmm. And these three diaphragms are actually controlling the breathing. And if there's holding or tension in any one of those, it's going to change our breath pattern. Hmm. So when we're looking specifically at the root, we're focusing on the pelvic floor. Hmm. And there could be holding and tension in the pelvic floor. And that's going to change the quality of sensation we have down into the coccygeal body and through that whole space, including... Our sex organs mm. and so you know sex organs in first or second chakra depending on where you're aligned what you believe in but that whole area of the pelvis creates a felt sense of groundedness and changes our blood chemistry and as it's mm. changing blood chemistry it's changing how our brain is functioning tell me how it
0: changes blood chemistry is it like the um the, the prostate and the testicles in males
1: release a certain hormones totally Yeah, and so the same with the coccygeal body in either gender. Like every human has the coccygeal body sitting right in front of the tailbone, and that's going to create a different felt sense and different blood chemicals. When it comes to all of the glands that are in that space, if there's holding or tension, they're not going to be functioning in the same way as if there was a pulsation. And by pulsation, I mean we take 26,000 breaths per day. If I'm not breathing through that space, there's no massage. And we all know that massage gets us moving. Mm-hmm. So when we massage something, it's going to have, it's going to have friction. It's going to have cellular movement. There's an energetic quality moving through there. The pure mm-hmm. physics of it. Mm-hmm. There's going to be heat. There's going to be blood flow. And there's going to be chi. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about that space, if I'm not breathing through there, there's going to be some stagnation. And mm-hmm. that stagnation will lead to dysfunction. And that dysfunction could potentially lead to disease. Mm-hmm disease mm-hmm. <laughs> so w- what we can do about that is as you're aware with powerful practices of kundalini we can bring the breath down through that space um and, and yoga and meditation will allow that for me the most powerful way to get breath moving through there is with conscious connected breathing and with hands-on facilitation we can bring the breath down through the hip spaces and then We've been experimenting with my teacher, Robin Clements. We've been, we've been trying various different techniques on our highest levels of training for breathwave. Um, and Robin's a total master of, of helping to pe- people to deepen and widen their, their breath and to have a fullness. And, and really he's a, he's a master of, of holding space and, and healing. Are you teaching people to basically massage the lower glands using the breath? Totally. And they're doing that every breath. And so now when we're sitting, we can feel through the, through the root. One of the most powerful activations we've found is placing the round of the knee into the, the breather's um, perineal area.
0: And what does that do? Brings awareness there?
1: Yeah, Misages totally. It? So it's bringing awareness and pressure and that gentle pressure, gentle but firm pressure allows the pulsation of the... So here, this would be sort of the round of the knee. Maybe I'll take it out of my face. And this will be uh-huh. like, this would be you know, the pulsation of the breath. And when we press into that, we can feel that the breath can actually start to pulsate against the round of the knee.
0: Huh.
1: And that's really powerful because when we're breathing with conscious connected breathing, we've altered the brain state. So when we've altered the brain state and then we bring conscious awareness into the state of the perineum, that allows us to fully breathe through that. Mm-hmm. And it's the equivalent of a of a a massive awakening of kundalini energy coccygeal body you know whatever we want to name it as whether it's eastern mystical traditions or western science like what we're looking at is we've allowed that area to receive a physical pulsation anatomically right down into the root which is opening that area up and changing the functioning of it from a neuroendocrinological context we're Uh, changing how people think
0: Yes. Yogi Bhajan calls it developing the self-sensory system. Right. Um, he said in the Piscean age, which ended in 2011, it was all about the suppression of the feminine and the exploitation of the feminine. And there was this obsession with sex. And now that we're in the Aquarian age for the next 50 years, people are going to start to develop their self-sensory system, which sounds exactly what like what you're doing with your clients, helping them, basically derive pleasure from being in their, in the moment in their own bodies, rather than like being looking at porn or like outside of themselves, trying to get satisfied. It's like, Whoa, it actually feels pretty satisfying just to be in my body in this moment.
1: Is that kind totally. of cool. Yeah. And that, you know, one of the most enjoyable things that I can do now is spend an hour and a quarter breathing, you know, like breathing in a conscious way. I have developed the practice very much like yourself, where if I, if I be with myself, I can create amazing changes in my blood chemistry, which are changing the sensations and my felt sense. Mm. And I've experimented with various different substances um, through traditional healing methods, and I've found that the breath is the most powerful. Mm. That's cool. So that's a fun Friday night. That's
0: a great What do yogis do on Friday nights Well, we breathe?
1: Basically, I stay home and breathe. I just breathe. Sometimes
0: uh, I fly. Usually I just breathe. Um, how does the, the breath influence or change our psychological states and our moods? Oh, and, and, and also, how, can you just tell the listeners the basic uh technique of conscious connected breathing
1: yeah for sure the the techniques actually in in its explanation is incredibly simple Mm -hmm. so simple in fact people are like what's this going to do and then what it does is quite unfathomable so Mm -hmm. the technique is to lie down open the mouth and breathe with a relaxed and open mouth breathing in and out through the mouth connect the breath so the inhale meets the exhale without a pause and this Mm. the breath starts to cycle in this way and this is present in a lot of tantra teachings and it's Mm. suggested in a lot of tantra teachings we then just drop the exhale out the mouth so the inhale is full with effort and the exhale is a surrender a letting go those are the three steps relax body relax mouth inhale meets the exhale exhale falls away so
0: you're not thinking about bringing the energy up your spine or any of that. You're just, no. it's just a simple breathing.
1: Totally. It's just, you. The, the one pointed focus remains on cycling the breath. Now, the curious thing is when we stay in that rhythm for some time, it starts to breathe you. Mm. So, you know, it starts to activate a natural wisdom in the nervous system that just cycles the breath through. And what happens is we can as we increase the volume of our breath, we start to pendulate breath into areas of holding tension, and feel them. And the exhale, we let it go. So we're using the breath as an opportunity to pendulate into areas of holding or discomfort and then to fully release them. And cool. what we're doing is it's almost like the visualization is like a jellyfish. We're moving into these spaces and letting them go. And as we do that repeatedly, what we notice is our breath becomes fuller and deeper. Mm-hmm. So that's the essence of the technique. And then there's just so much more to it than that because every time we've had a chemical response to a stimulus that hasn't been completed, the work of Candice Pert is that we would store it in neuropeptides. So we're actually storing incomplete chemical responses in our physical body on a cellular level. And when we use conscious connected breathing, what we do is we allow ourselves to breathe and pendulate into that space to fully fill it with breath, to wake it up and to move that chemically cellular stored emotion back into our bodies. And that can be a big energetic shift. And what what is stored emotion? You've experienced it through yoga as well. Mm -hmm. Like you'll drop into a pose and boom, out of nowhere, you'll get a big push through your whole system. As we develop our capacity to feel and we get better at feeling, we can be with all of those sensations that are moving through us. And so it's not about feeling better. It's about getting better at feeling.
0: Yeah. If you want to feel better, you have to get better at feeling. That's what I heard somebody say
1: up at Bless Coast. Totally, brother. And so the essence of that then is like, okay, what's that happening? What's, What's going on with me neurologically? Well, you've touched on the root chakra, but as we move through the endocrine system, as I'll clinically Western call it, it's like as we move through all of our gland systems, Each of our glands is responsible for amazing different blood chemistry. Mm. And the blood chemistry that our bodies produce changes brain function. Now, obviously, Mm. the brain is being nourished by oxygen-rich blood all the time. And that blood is continuously throwing through it. And it's like, if we change the blood that flows through the brain, we change how it functions. And if our endocrine system is changing our blood chemistry by the minute, it's changing brain function. Right. So if we change how the breath moves in our body, then we start to change our endocrine system functioning, which is changing the gland function. It's changing our blood chemistry. If our blood chemistry changes, that starts to change the fuel that our brain is using. And that starts Mm -hmm. to change which areas of the brain are active or not active. And then that's changing our thinking. So the essence of this is how we breathe is how we think. Wow.
0: That's so beautiful if you were to simplify it, would it be like you could teach yourself to breathe more deeply or more focused into different parts of your body to stimulate different glands, to secrete certain hormones and and chemicals into your bloodstream, which would give you a certain neurological effect and thus a certain mood. Like if you wanted to feel more um, vital and masculine and, increase your testosterone, like say you're about to go into a business meeting, you could like breathe into your balls and your, your, um, prostate, and then you could like squeeze the energy up or you probably would even have to squeeze it up because it'll come up to your brain
1: naturally. So, so totally. Well, I mean, like it gives us an amazing tool for changing our function and our state if we need to, but what I like more about it is we don't do anything during a session. We just trust that the body will create exactly what it needs to during that time. Mm-hmm. So, some people when they lie down, they think that I have to breathe a certain way, or I have to breathe in 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 or out in a certain way. It's like all you have to do is lie there and connect your breath, right? And let your exhale go. And if you do that, the body's going to do amazing things during hour during your hour and a quarter session. Because, you're holding, be- that, because you're holding space and helping them feel safe. What's that, brother? Because because
0: you're holding space and helping them feel safe. It's like so they're like, okay. I'm safe. The you know, the body knows it's safe so then it can recalibrate.
1: Totally. And so then then the quality is every time we're doing anything, like going into that business meeting, if I'm with myself, I don't need to change anything. I don't need to consciously think about changing my breath or consciously think about changing the qualities that I'm going into that meeting with. I can just walk in there and feel super calm, grounded, centered, present anyway, because my breath's cycling as it needs to. And because my glands are operating as they need to, because I have a practice.
0: Right, right.
1: So it's like, it's almost getting out of the way of the doing. Like, there's no need to do anymore. We don't have to yeah. do anything. We can just actually just breathe. And it does it anyway. And that's what yes. I love about the practice is like, there's this actually a lot less effort than most other meditations. And I mean, like four years ago, if you tried to get me to do like a still meditation, it was like being locked in a room with an angry person. It's like, if we have trauma, probably the last thing we need to do is close our eyes and start to track what's going on inside us. It's like a a surefire way to re-traumatize.
0: Right. So the key is... The key is meditation with, with the conscious breathing. The conscious breathing is maybe what is the missing piece for a lot of people who have trauma, who are trying to use meditation to heal. Yeah, I think.
1: Speaking like quite clearly to this, like I find, you know, movement as a meditation, very, very beneficial for me. Like dancing? Yeah. To, To soft music? Yeah. Like free movement, some qigong, Some yoga asana, but something that's not like very, very defined as an example, right? right? Kundalini is another amazing practice for me that I really enjoy because it moves so much. If I'm to sit still, close my eyes and just track what's going on within me, that can be, especially when we're starting out as a practice, that can be quite alarming. And I think be quite dangerous as well, especially if we're not used to doing that. That's the first thing we're going to do. It's like the way I see it, it's like we're running a marathon. It's like, mm, I'm going to run a marathon. Let's go and do that tomorrow. No. It's right, like, right. I got to train for this. Otherwise, yeah, I'm going to. You need a coach. Yeah. And so and what's as really. amazing
0: is those apps are at, you know, increasing the visibility of meditation or into the masses. It's like, it's just a robot. You know, it's nice to have an actual person helping facilitate you learning how to meditate and holding you in a safe space. Do you want to just turn my voice down a bit? Because it's, it's uh, echoing. Gotcha. You. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, um... yeah, keep going.
1: You were saying... Yeah. So I think we just need to be a little bit more aware, especially now as we're entering this transition in all of us as a, as a collective consciousness. We're all starting to awaken to our true nature. We're all mm-hmm. starting to develop these practices, mostly because we're recognizing that the way we've been living has been not maybe serving our highest good. And it's been making a lot of people quite miserable. And so, the essence mm-hmm. of this is like, okay, how can we live in greater senses of community with ourselves and with one another? And right. a lot of people are suggesting that the answer is meditation. Well, that's a possibility, but for me, the answer is mindfulness. And the difference between those two in categorization is I can bring mindfulness to doing the dishes, I can bring mindfulness to driving, I can bring mindfulness mm-hmm. to any of those things. For me, meditation is much more a tool to pierce through the veils or to get into something. Like unprocessed emotion, find it and release it. Now, for me, it's essential we have a foundation to start with before we move into trying to find more stuff to deal with. Does does that make sense? Yeah, it it does. Yeah, those foundational practices for me are you know are really essential. And when if I'm working with a client one on one, I'm gonna garner some information from them around. Where are they working and what's their status and relationships? Who is the support networks they have available? Have they had previous, you know, experience with any of the work that I'm doing? Do they have a counselor? Do they have a therapist? You know, and, and what's their circle of friends like, especially here in Whistler? Um, we heal in community and we heal together. And so if someone has great family support and they're just going through something that they need some assistance with, that's going to be totally different than somebody that's isolated and feeling totally vulnerable and traumatized. And so The first thing that needs to happen is that we create a foundational baseline for general daily practice before we even move into, you know, getting into some of these finer points of things that are stored on a cellular level that the client has a wish to release, but there's a recognition that there needs to be a readiness and a preparedness there, right? Shows up really clearly in say ayahuasca Mm -hmm. and without making too many parallels between conscious connected breathing and plant medicine, there's a preparedness that needs to be there. Right. And so it's not like I'm going to drop out of my busy day, pop down the street, do a quick ayahuasca ceremony, and then head back to work. Like There's recognition that that's a powerful medicine that's creating some fundamental change in my body. I'm going to ensure that I have a baseline of preparedness for that, including um, you know, my eating habits would have changed. And you know my sleep regulation would be really on point. I'd have a really good... Mm-hmm. Um, Really good exercise regimen. And I've created enough time and space around those things such that I can fully process and integrate. And so right. I think there's a recognition for me that even a direct and poignant meditation practice can have the same uh, effect, where it's like we need to be really aware of how powerful the body can be. Yes. And what we're stepping into, and ensure, as you said, that we have quality guidance with people that are not only trained, but also experienced. And there's a difference.
0: Mm-hmm, totally. I was um, I'm having Dr. Christian Northrup on the show in a couple of days, and she I was listening to her audio book of her new book, and she talks about this phenomenon in Buddhist Tibetan monks. Invariably, they have higher rates of diabetes than the general population, and she and I guess the researcher who's looking into this is positing that the reason why is because uh, the Chinese have done so much, you know, raped and pillaged their temples and stuff, and these Tibetan monks are taught to not express anger and to just go right to loving kindness to meta. And so they're never given the opportunity to really feel it, to heal it. It's just like, no, Uh. meta, meta, your enemies, send loving kindness to your enemies, sit there, don't feel the negative, go right to the positive. And the theory is that that constant loving kindness releases high levels of endorphins and the body's type of morphine, which, affects the metabolism of glucose in the blood. And apparently that's the theory as to why so many monks are having diabetes. And so I just thought that was interesting to bring up. And also they're taught to negate their bodies and to just quickly get to Buddhahood. So the body doesn't really matter. So they're also taught to not really take too good care of their bodies. It's not a a focus.
1: Yeah. Interesting. that raises a few things for me well and it's um it's great that we're you know moving into that area of recognition i am much more in the school of tantra and the recognition that all is sacred including anger and if there's anger or aggression that is surfacing it's probably because it's a, a fairly natural primal drive it's bringing that up in some way the quality of how i choose to express that mm. and how i express that in a healthy way and what i do with that energy is much more important to me now to convert anger into loving-kindness is not available to me in my practice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mean, <I> mean. <laughs> maybe <probably> one day. <laughs> but for me, anger is something that needs to be expressed. But I have choices as to how I express it. And right. In Kundalini
0: Yoga, we have, like, um, it's called 12-minute space change. So you would do, like, ego eradicator for three minutes. Then you yeah. do fist fist of anger. And you actually think about somebody or something you're angry about. Totally. Then for three and a half minutes. And then you inhale and you bring it up and out the crown chakra and then you would do like maybe a self blessing for three minutes i bless myself i bless myself i am i am i am
1: i love that and what i love about that is you're honoring the energies and you're recognizing that they need to move because when you have a big anger response that's adrenaline that's going to start to punch through you right and immediately what you're doing is you're 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 medicating essentially you're recognizing i have this quality i have this energy within me Do I label it as anxiety or do I label it as anger or do I recognize immediately this thing needs to move? And in doing some movement, we're using the tools of the body, which would have been for fighting in some way to actually release that energy that's been created and create balance and harmony again. Now that's totally different than suppression. Right. I even had a
0: therapist once. He's like, oh, the Buddhist monks. He's like, because I was going through something extremely traumatic. He's like, oh, well, just do what the Buddhist monks do. Just sit there and just let it. You know, just sit and try to be calm, and just let your body like burp and fart and gurgle. And <laughs> I tried; it. it didn't work for me. No, <laughs> I'm not there no. yet.
1: And that might work for someone, you know. That it might, might be for great someone. for. Mm-hmm. That's not for me. You know. <laughs> so in your work,
0: you would feel it to heal it, obviously. And and so if if say if somebody's doing conscious connected breathing, and then rage comes up, do you invite them to scream and like hit the ground or what?
1: Yeah, exactly. Both of those things, you know, that the first one is the expression through the throat space. And if there's suppressed rage that's coming up, we'd probably notice that there's some holding through the throat space, specifically the right-hand side of the throat. This would be unexpressed anger and rage would actually show up here. Um, that would have an impact on thyroid parathyroid glands in the throat. That quality and holding and the tone change on a cellular level is going to change the gland function. And that would potentially lead to some weight gain as well. There's so, article in 2016 that was published by a top university in Romania around hyperthyroidism and holding the throat space. Um, Mm. And they were noticing that that was having a direct impact on breathing. So we're starting to connect with Western medicine and science and clinical studies. We're starting to connect breath pattern to gland function in such a way that we can actually diagnose from the breath pattern. So I can look at the breath pattern and I can tell you which glands are functioning and which glands are maybe not functioning so well. And so... And then you could give a a correction of breath to help the Uh, glands that are low to get increased? Totally. So if someone has unexpressed anger and rage, I'm going to invite them to own with me. And that's going to be the first thing that I'm going to do is to invite sound through that space. And immediately there will be resistance. That person will be almost unable to make sound. Mm. And so some support in the back of the neck and holding onto the throat space so that the hands, they can just feel that support. And then another invitation to om. And if we're in a group to get the whole group to om, then mm-hmm. you know that sound is coming through and people will start to clear their throat. They know that they can use sound whenever they need to. And that's a total rewire. That's like, you're mm-hmm. safe to express yourself and you're safe to use your voice.
0: Right. We do that in Kundalini too with the chanting to like strengthen the throat chakra and encourage people to chant and also support it with their navel point.
1: And, and, and yeah, this really is helpful. exactly why I've really... I've loved working with you, Will, because the practices of kundalini and conscious connected breathing are so tied together for me. The, the it's almost like yang part, and yin. Yeah, it's so appropriate. And also, even the recognition that we start out integrating into the space, we go through a big activation of exercises, and then we finish mellow again. Now, that bell curve is exactly the trauma cycle or response to any stimulus that a, that a mammal faces. All oh, right. So we're mirroring what we would see in the wild, what we would see in nature, and what we see in our own physiology and our own nervous systems. And you're doing it every class.
0: Cool, that's very yeah. awesome. And also I studied German new medicine and it's all about the bell curve. Like the, <clears throat> the idea is that no illness can happen in your body without the involvement of your brain and your psyche. And that every so-called illness, the guy who discovered it was this German physician. He was a Western physician. And he'd been quite healthy his whole life. And then in his late 40s, his son was shot unexpectedly by the Italian crown prince. It was this weird situation. And then died a few weeks later in the hospital. And then a few weeks or months, a few months after that, the father, this Dr. Homer, developed a testicular teratoma in his testicle, which is basically like a, a tumor that's like kind of like a semi-unformed baby in a sense. Like It's got like teeth or like hair. It's got like different parts of the human in it. And women can get them too. So he started developing one and he was wondering, like I've been healthy all my life. Does this have anything to do with me unexpectedly losing my offspring? And then he was an ovarian cancer specialist. So he asked like all of his ovarian cancer patients, have you experienced some sort of crazy unexpected loss in the last few months before you were diagnosed? And like 99% of them had. And then he started doing CT scans on their brains and he mapped out the brain. And apparently Because every part of the brain controls every a a certain part of the brain controls certain parts and organs of the body. He started to like realize they all these ovarian cancer patients had this concentric ring circle, this ball of energy in the exact same area that controls where they were getting the tumors in their bodies. So it's um, yeah, it's it's just interesting because I feel that there is this there's been this body mind split in western medicine and now it's starting to dissolve again i don't know if it was because of the church and physicians at the turn of the century were like oh, okay we'll we'll give the mind to the church and we'll take the body kind of thing
1: they don't want to piss off the church yeah that's, that's certainly like, been what i've read as well and in the 1600s is a clear clear understanding you know of who gets what and right. that division hasn't happened in other cultures in the same way. And so I think mm. I, it's, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's great to see that there is a healing and an integration that's happening between the four directions of the you know, body. Oh, right. And, and that's, sorry, and
0: that mind. was the thing I wanted to, was I was getting to, um, you jogged my memory. Thank you. So the, so his theory is Dr. Hamer's German new medicine theory is every so-called illness, unless it's like a poisoning or, a, or something like that, or an injury, is caused by an unexpected conflict shock an emotional shock to the psyche that the psyche registers and it it starts it initiates this he doesn't call it disease he calls it a significant biological special program of nature designed to assist an organism during a time of crisis and so the shock happens and then the organism goes into this bell curve where it goes into a stress phase a cold phase where you know, it's hard to sleep. There's not much appetite and etc. etc. There's cold limbs. Usually there's no symptoms there. And then, so say like you get diagnosed with cancer, that could be like the, the conflict shock. It's an unexpected thing. So then, oh my God. And then maybe eight months later, the doctor's like, oh, actually you're fine. Then you might go into healing. And then that's when you might start to get symptoms because you go into the warm phase. And hmm. that's when you want to sleep a lot and you want to eat more and you you might start to get symptoms because there might be edemas and swelling and things of that nature. So it's kind of the same idea that you're talking about that was the bell curve. It's also in German new medicine.
1: Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, think so much. Uh, we're at an amazing time right now in in human existence where we have you know our capacity to connect right now you know via the internet, but also mm-hmm. the wealth of information that's all being connected and the essence that all of the spokes of the wheel need in the center. Mm-hmm. And it really doesn't matter 100% what approach we take. If we keep going down that same approach, we will eventually get the same truth.
0: Mm, I like that. I like that. What is a way that men can boost their testosterone levels using conscious connected breathing?
2: Practice.
1: <laughs> I think just practice, you know, having a breath practice honoring honoring the body in that way with movement really listening mm. deeply to what we need to nourish ourselves and and having a breath practice um and and a small amount daily is amazing um mm. when we're moving into breath work and we're going through a process of activation of pockets of holding tension, it's really great to have you know some guidance and support um and for men the, the if there is going to be an aim it would be to breathe all the way through the root And then, of course, once that's been achieved and that pattern is now neuroplastically wired in, where we've changed the breath pattern consistently, Mm. we're going to do that subconsciously, which is 26,000 breaths a day on average. So that's probably going to have an impact. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally.
0: Very cool. Is there anything else you want to talk about, man?
1: That's... And so much great stuff that's been mentioned. I just think, also, just the recognition that um, how we're living in a relationship to all things is essential. And drawing on the, some of the ancient wisdom traditions, just reconnecting to that, how we're nourishing ourselves and our food sources, and how that food's getting to us, and you know, the, the quality of our relationships and community, and with our parents and with our families, and with the people at work. They all have a bearing on our health. And holding on to resentments and holding on to anger is not serving ourselves, regardless of what it does to anybody else. And, and I think it's just it's my heart's prayer that we all start to really delve into understanding with great depth the quality of relationships and how we're relating to all things and all beings. That's beautiful.
0: I always ask my
1: guests, um, what
0: where do you think homophobia came from? Because apparently it hasn't always been around like in First Nations cultures. I was studying at UBC that most First Nations tribes had like four genders and oftentimes like the little boys who would want to wear women's clothes and play with typical girls toys. The parents would be like, oh, we've got a shaman here. We've got a healer here. And they would often become the the shamans and then when the western people came over they would label those shamans as berdache which means slut or prostitute in french and they would be the first to to be slaughtered by the white man and then also like in ancient greece um, apparently the norm was bisexuality and men would have wives but they'd also have there were seven different types of love and they would invariably be intimate with their battle mates so i'm just wondering like there were other times where like same-sex affection was not so ostracized do you where do you think it came from this homophobia
1: oh that's a, i don't know i mean that's a really it's a curious one because in other cultures and around the world even right now at this time of living you know there's there's a prevalence for, for men holding hands in the street and demonstrating affection i think yeah. you know i have great relationships with 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 men, I, I love to, you know, to connect through through hugging, you know, and through holding a man. And, and I'm seeing that in our culture as being something that hasn't always been present. I spent a lot of time living in France, and men would often kiss on the cheek there. You know, it was mm. just a um, Right. And so really, I think we can isolate it much more. And, and you know, in Spain and Portugal and Italy, the men are much more, you know, tactile in, in my experience, what I've witnessed both yeah. traveling and living there. So I think you know there's a, a fairly puritanical root in in like northern Europe around you know this sort of lack there and then and then coming into North America yeah there seems to be a fairly interesting kind of idea that that men it's a, it's a stiff handshake and nothing more and you know growing up in the UK there's or we can play rugby all we want and you know like but then it's just like it's such a bizarre like, cultural phenomenon of, of of like what is and isn't allowed or established or you know warranted i think the essence of it boils down to judgment and i love celebrating the uniqueness of everybody every one of us is a unique individual and we all have so many varying degrees of everything within us mm-hmm. and so there's really no benefit in any label in my mind we're all a human I agree. Totally. And one out of every yeah, 2,000 I, I, I think the essence of it is fear. You know, when, when we get programmed multi-generationally with certain attributes around fear, sometimes it can take some time for us to unwind those. No. I'm
0: just wondering where that, when did the switch happen or what was the social benefit of homophobia was it because from my research it's like in in Egypt right now men you see kissing and holding hands on the street and holding pinkies and stuff and and apparently it's you can be as gay as you want in fact I've got a a friend whose father is Persian and she said oh yeah my dad sleeps with men all the time Um, it's not whether or not you sleep with a man that makes you beat upable it's whether or not you're effeminate and if you act masculine in Egypt you can have sex with as many women or men as you want and you will not your identity as a as a man will not be threatened and you will not be attacked or imprisoned. But if you start to act effeminate like a woman, you will be so
1: you've crossed the line there. That
0: you've That's really crossed the cross line. The line. <laughs> So it's, it's interesting. Maybe it's a remnant from the Piscean age where there was a suppression of the divine feminine and um, also just not allowing yourself to be vulnerable or come across as weak or uh, submissive. And um, maybe we're still learning to embrace our vulnerability, especially as men and, and embrace that as a power apparently in hawaii certain traditional tribes would get completely naked to go to battle because they believed in the power of just being completely vulnerable Something yeah they, like a, owning a, a spiritual reparenting of vulnerability maybe is is a piece of it
1: yeah i love that well my my, my dear friend and, and teacher robin clements he often talks about the fact that the stronger we get the softer we get
0: mm. Mm.
1: and i think that's a a, a deep contemplation for, for any ideology around you know, femininity, masculinity, either of those you know, alignments to any sort of label around gender is just the recognition that strength can also be with softness, with vulnerability and authenticity. In fact, quite often we find that those attributes are, are bundled together really well.
0: Mm. What's your definition of authenticity? <laughs>
1: Uh, the courage to really be ourselves. I mean, like, the true essence of what that is. Mm. Um, I suppose there's a an easy tendency for us to operate from a place of seeking approval from somebody else, and mm. seeking approval from others is a surefire way to lose track of who we really are. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of deep inward reflection and the recognition of our own gifts, talents and skills, and at the same time, limitations is essential for us to really understand who we are as an individual and as a being. Um, our mutual friend, uh, Dr. Nima Ramani, he, he talks in this really enlightening way around how every human being has every single attribute. Mm-hmm. So I'm generous, but I'm also stingy. And, you know, and, and so there's a duality that exists in, in all of us. It's just finding out the places where that exists. You know, I, I might be very generous with my money and very stingy with my time. And, mm-hmm. and so we're all displaying every attribute at the same time. And so part of it for me, the authenticity is the recognition that we're already a whole being and we already have all of these attributes and that we're free to express them in our own unique way and that that is okay. However, right. that
0: should. that's beautiful. Do you have any tools or hot tips for dealing with shame or guilt? If you did something in the past that you feel bad that you did, um, breathe how to into get the over that, breathe into, the, <laughs> breathe into the first chakra.
1: Yeah. I find that that's usually my answer for most things. You know, <laughs> <After> <laughs> moment in my life, I've probably stopped reading <laughs> my root space. <laughs> Like it's really easy to live from the heart. You know, we can, we can, a lot of us can live really well from the heart in this age, in this culture. What I find is more difficult is, is living with that open love from a space of being really grounded as well. Mm. And that's the practice that, you know, is continuously popping up in my life. Um, And I know that's going to be tested deeply by the birth of my son in a couple of weeks, Mm. Um, big curveball being thrown in, but, yeah, I will repeatedly come back to breathing through my root space. Mm. Guilt and shame specifically being two of the most demoralizing emotions to feel and to hold. Mm. We can really heal those in community. Mm. I love holding circles. I love holding sharing because it allows us to recognize that when we're open and vulnerable and everybody else is as well, we're really all in the same game here. And what we're ashamed of, there's a good chance three or four other people in that circle have not only felt but maybe feeling at that time. And Mm. so when we come together in circle, there's a recognition that sama, sama, I am you, you are me. We're the same. Mm. We dissolve that idea of separation and we recognize that we all have all of those attributes at the same time in one way or another. And if we believe we don't, it's because they're in shadow. Mm. And, and when we recognize that we're all really the, the essence of all of us is the same, that pure consciousness is the same that flows through every single cell, every single one of our 37 trillion cells, and every single human is made of the same essence, I think we dissolve that fully and we recognize that we're all in this together in so many ways. That's beautiful make me cry
0: (laughs) (laughs) thanks man
1: thank you for that beautiful interview edward oh so good to talk to you brother um so much information i'd love to i know this is going to continue
0: (laughs) yeah yeah, i'll have to have you on again if you're willing yeah Um, where can people find you online
1: um easiest way is at orbithealing.com. nice and also at biologyofbreath.com. so two slightly different orbit healing is my own personal clinical healing brand where my clinic time and one-on-ones and i'm available for private work and ceremony and biology of breath is the network of breath practitioners that that is growing and that's also training in the breath work modalities as well that we're starting now. Um, Sweet. and yeah, those are the two easiest ways to find me. or good old Instagram, Edward Dangerfield,
0: Edward Dangerfield on Instagram.
1: Yeah. Beautiful.
0: Can Jeez. I ask one more question? Please, oh. What, um, what, uh, what kind of breath technique or what could you do to help lessen headaches? Sometimes I'll get pressure headaches, Um, Sometimes I'll get triggered like if I'm thinking about something stressful or a stressful relationship, Uh um, I'll get like a pressure headache. Yeah. And like usually like what I'll do is I'll just Reiki myself and I do find if I stare too much at Instagram or if I'm on any any sort of technology too much, it'll invoke a headache as well. Uh So I'll just either spend time in nature or just Reiki myself and just bring my Uh awareness inwards. What would you recommend?
1: yeah that's a tough one because it could be, be so many things from a causation point of view that would then require a different a different um prescription in essence of breath or a different diagnosis um mm-hmm. what we're really looking at most of the time is a balance between prana and apana, and so how the inhale are flowing. can you tell the listeners
0: the difference Pr- Apana is outflowing energy and prana is in inward
1: yeah so the in-breath and the out-breath and if we modify those in any way, we're going to create a different balance in our bloodstream and we're going to change our endocrine system. So there's a real is inhale? Ah. Uh, so... And Aparna Aparna is would is an exhale? A building and mm-hmm. prana would be lowering. So if you modified your, your inhale to exhale ratio, you'd probably find there would be a profound difference in the pressure in your head. My immediate oh. thought would be to increase the duration of your exhale.
0: Hmm.
1: And that would start to lower your energy from that headspace down. Cool. Um,
0: also, in Kundalini, uh, we're taught to focus a lot of the third eye, and sometimes yeah. if you do that too much, it'll invoke a, a pressure headache. So lately, I've been practicing when I'm doing like, like oh, I'll focus, I'll do a kriya for like the the uh, second chakra, and I'll focus energetically just you know at the base of the lingam, and I find that lessens the headache. Just bringing focus to
1: different parts instead of always just at the pituitary. Totally, I think. You know, as we delve into this work more and more, there's a recognition that every single emotion has a specific breath pattern. Mm. And as we start to watch breath patterns more and more, we can start to become aware of how an emotional quality is tied to a specific breath pattern. Mm -hmm. We can also then create a breath pattern to create the same emotion. Wow. So if I'm guiding a client and they've got a lot of unexpressed anger, I can create an anger breath pattern within them through guidance And that will release anger because we're mimicking. And so the same is true of if you notice when that headache is coming on, become aware of how you've been breathing. You'll know that that's actually triggering your headache. So before even finding the remedy to that situation, you can be like, oh, it always comes on when I'm sitting at the computer and I'm breathing its way. Okay, well, you've just found out the third eye activation breath pattern for yourself.
0: Right. Well, I'm just lengthening my exhale right now and I'm feeling relief.
1: Totally. And alternate nostril yeah. breathing, and any of the amazing tantric practices that you have in your in your toolbox are going to be really beneficial. Explorations, you know, try some retention: breathe in for eight, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four. Mm. Play around with it, and then you know, in three or four minutes, you'll have an understanding: is this is it deepening the situation, or is it allowing it to soften? And with any sort of headache like that, swapping around your attentions and your inhale to exhale, yeah, that's there's your practice, right? And then again, this is such a beautiful opportunity to to deepen your knowledge of yourself. And that's Mm -hmm. part of this amazing human experience is to continually deepening our knowledge of ourselves. Nice. Sweet. Thank you. Awesome, brother. So welcome.
0: I'm going to, can I, I want to keep you on. I'm going to turn out because I want to ask you a question off air, but uh, I want to thank listeners for tuning into the Urban Yogi Show. And you can get this on iTunes. If you go to there, if you go to uh, iTunes.com and just type in either my name, Will Blunderfield, or the Urban Yogi, and uh, I just want to thank Edward again for your time and your expertise and your wisdom.
1: Well, thanks so much. Thanks for having me on, and so great to see you and to speak to you as always. Cheers, man. You too. Thanks, for Thought Nam.
0: Thank you for joining us this week on the Urban Yogi Podcast. Make sure to visit Edward's website at orbithealing.com. You can also check out my website at willblunderfield.ca where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes as well as YouTube so you'll never miss a show. My YouTube feed is youtube.com slash willblundy W-I-L-L-B-L-U-N-D-I-E where you can see a live recording of Edward and I chatting. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out my CD at itunes.com slash Will Blunderfield. I'm available for private yoga and voice coaching at willblunderfield.ca. Have a beautiful week. Satnam.
2: Pusti vadana
0: aur va Muktiya bandana Ritie
2: Muktiya marita
0: Triambakam yajamahe su.
2: beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, "Whom am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? playing small does not save the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people will feel insecure around you. You're all meant to shine as children do. You're born to make manifest. not just in some of us. It is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others me the Lord.